Before we get started, I have a quick favor. I've been self-funding the Finding Genius podcast for five years now. I've done over 3,000 episodes. And as you can see on YouTube, we're up over a million views on the channel, which is fantastic. The next thing I really want to push on is to get up to 10,000 subscribers. Because once we do, we'll be able to put a donate button and uh, we'll be able to solicit donations uh, to help keep the podcast running and to also get the Finding Genius Foundation moving along. We have a big project studying anxiety, depression, and PTSD, and working on a product to help people overcome these problems uh, because I've seen them explode recently after the, uh, you know, the last two years of the whole virus situation. So if you would, please subscribe to the podcast. That would help us tremendously. Give us a thumbs up. And check in the description for Buy Me a Coffee. It's about five bucks. If you could buy me a coffee, I'd really appreciate it. It would help keep the channel going, and I love coffee. Thank you. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Before we begin, a note from our sponsor. I'm Richard Jacobs, Executive Director of the nonprofit Finding Genius Foundation and host of the Finding Genius Podcast. In late 2016, I was rear-ended at 65 miles an hour by a truck on the highway, which sent me off-road into a ditch. The impact of the collision gave me a concussion and other injuries. At the hospital, a CT scan showed that I had thyroid nodules, which turned out to be cancer. It was then, when I had a biopsy in my neck, that I realized, even if I was a millionaire, I wouldn't want a second or a third biopsy due to the pain and the invasiveness of it. And appointments at that time for thyroid experts were three to six months out, and I was worried about dying now, even if that was irrational. So because of this, I've decided to raise money to conduct a literature review on steroids, on the causes of anxiety and depression a condition that affects well over 50 million people in the United States and hundreds of millions worldwide. Our goal is to create a codex, a guide that reveals all possible treatments for anxiety and depression for people that live with the condition or for loved ones that have it, as my wife and my son do. To find out more about our fundraiser, visit FindingGeniusFoundation.org and click on Current Initiatives. And now to our guest. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius podcast. My guest today is Marco Castellano. He's a researcher at uh, INAF, the uh, Observatorio Astronomico di Roma. I hope I said that right. Yes. Um, we're gonna, oh, so we're going to talk about the uh, James Webb Telescope and uh, his work. So, Marco, thank you for coming. Thank you for inviting me. So tell me, what, what is your work like right now, and how are you involved with the James Webb Telescope? Well, I am a researcher investigating uh, galaxy formation and galaxy evolution, and in particular, my research field is looking at the very first galaxies. So, the galaxies that formed, uh, the very first galaxies that formed uh, after the Big Bang. Just to give a context, uh, the universe is now. 13.7 uh, uh, billion years old and we are looking uh, we are 
looking for galaxies that formed a few hundred million years after the Big Bang. And James Webb Space Telescope is the instrument that will give a revolution in this field uh, thanks to its sensitivity in the near-infrared and uh, its uh, resolving power. So I did this research with the other instrument, the Hubble Space Telescope, uh, ground-based giant telescopes. But James Webb is really a revolution because it's opening a completely new window into this very distant epoch of the of the universe and first results came uh, this summer and they are already very very interesting uh, as you know there have been a lot of discussion about these these very first images and uh, james webb is really incredible in this respect um, when when were the first galaxies able to be formed and why did it take hundreds of millions of years from the start of the big bang well you know so after the the, the big bang the hydrogen and helium that formed with the so-called primordial nucleosynthesis were at the beginning very very hot and then through uh, the expansion of the universe, uh, they recombined and formed the atoms. But it, it took some time before the, the potential wells, uh, apparently uh, due to dark matter, allowed the gas to cool uh, to, to, to the point where it could, could form the very first objects and the very first stars. We haven't yet reached those very first stars, um, they likely formed uh, about 100 million years after, after the Big Bang, but we, we could not, we haven't detected them yet. These observations, uh, however, allowed us to push the frontier because this is really the, the frontier of the cosmology of observational astronomy so we could investigate the first uh, billion years uh, with uh, of galaxy formation of uh, space telescope so objects uh, about 500 to 1 500 million years and 1 billion year after the big bang but suddenly with the first james webb observations this frontier was pushed uh, to objects about two to three hundred million years after the Big Bang. It's very important to, to constrain, uh, to investigate this, uh, this epoch of, uh, of galaxy formation because very little is known of it. There are uh, theoretical predictions, uh, but we know uh, that the very first stars uh, and the very first supermassive black holes uh, formed uh, in, during uh, that, that epoch, so we need uh, James Webb to try detecting these very first objects, including uh, the, the first stars that only had uh, the hydrogen and helium that formed uh, uh, during primordial nucleosynthesis, while all the stars we have detected so far uh, all have heavier elements that formed uh, inside stars themselves yeah I, I, heard that, I heard that i heard that stars need to go through several life cycles in order to produce heavier elements is that true 
Yes, yes. Well, everything is produced within uh, within stars thanks to nuclear fusion. But the very first stars only had hydrogen and helium, and that's really the the ultimate goal for our uh, for researchers in my field to find these very first stars we don't know how they look like they probably were very very massive and very hot this is the theoretical uh, scenario but the we are all looking for for them that's the beginning and what what's fascinating too is that that's the beginning of uh, let's say, life in the universe, life in the sense that the beginning of light in the universe, but also to some extent the beginning of life, because starting with those stars, all elements could form, including those that make up our planet and ourselves. Well, why would stars today have heavier elements in them? Was it just older stars that kept burning, making heavier elements? Or were they formed differently? No, just because starting from those very first stars, the nuclear fusion within them formed, started to form carbon and, and all the elements heavier than, than helium and dispersing them in, into space within galaxies and even outside galaxies. So the other generations of stars that formed afterwards included all those elements uh, and and richer and richer abundance of uh, of uh, heavier elements so the sun now is mostly hydrogen and helium but still has some percent of elements heavier than helium uh, but the very first stars uh, had no other elements at all and the generations of stars that formed just after the, the first generation had a very small amount of these elements so the universe has been progressively uh, enriched with uh, elements heavier than, than, than helium uh, while hydrogen and helium formed during uh, during the, the initial phase after the the Big Bang. So that's why stars, uh, how stars uh, form all the atoms out of uh, nuclear burning of uh, hydrogen and helium. The James Webb um, supposedly has been able to see some early galaxies. From the from the pictures, can you learn anything new about old galaxies and their formation? Yeah. Well, the the first results uh, are. Uh, quite surprising of course we have to be um well to investigate further because these are the very first results from a new instrument uh, we are still learning how to use this this wonderful instrument but apparently uh, there seems to be more star formation in this very very early phase of, uh, of the uh, life of the universe uh, than we initially thought. So uh, many works, including mine, uh, has, find, uh, uh, has found a, a surprisingly high number of galaxies and of bright galaxies uh, in these uh, first two to three, four hundred million years after the Big Bang, while very, very few were expected. We need, uh, we definitely need to to investigate 
farther because there are a lot of subtleties in this uh, in this kind of uh, of investigation of work but the first results bit of a surprise with the number and brightness of this uh, of these first galaxies so that was quite unexpected and quite surprising and it seems that galaxies were more efficient at forming stars uh, at those early epochs uh, uh, more efficient than than uh, theoretical uh, models uh, predicted and other observations seemed uh, to to predict uh, before uh, these JWST observations. So what is the consequence of this, that they're more efficient than you thought? If you go backwards in time, does that mean that galaxies could have appeared earlier than they did? Possibly, or uh, possibly there's some role in how uh, these first generation of stars uh, formed, uh, maybe um, the, the the cooling of gas inside the dark matter halos uh, was more efficient. Or star formation was was more efficient. Uh, possibly a lack of uh, say negative feedback effect because you know um, galaxies kind of regulate their star formation process. Uh, stars form in, in gas clouds, but there are also uh, uh, effects that prevent the formation of stars like uh, um, ionizing output uh, uh, from other stars uh, or uh, the, the the effect from uh, winds from the massive black holes so there are there is a lot of physics that regulates star formation and it could be can be that the, those early epochs star formation was more efficient than uh, current models uh, allow. Uh, so we need to understand the physics of, of this uh, very early star formation. Of course, I'm uh, extrapolating from these uh, early results. There is still a lot, a lot to learn, but this is a possibility and it's uh, very, very interesting. And we need to investigate these uh, observations. So um, what, do you, what is theoretically the um, least amount of time since the Big Bang where a galaxy could form? And, and what is that process like? How does a galaxy form initially? And how does a star form? Well, they form because there are these, these uh, potential wells uh, where uh, basically gas falls and settles into, into a disk and, and cools emitting uh, radiation while it falls. And when it's cold enough, uh, uh, it's gravitationally bound and uh, stars uh, uh, can form. Uh, there is a variety of predictions on when and how these very first stars could form. It's likely around one, 100 million years after the Big Bang, possibly a bit later or a bit earlier, but now that's good guess. It's their epoch because we, we need enough time for this process to happen. So gas cooling uh, to the point that stars gravitation, uh, gravity make the, the gas fall to the point of forming the, the very first star clusters. And these are uh, indeed the, the very first stars 
I mentioned at the beginning uh, that we still have, have to find that were likely hot and massive. Uh, but um, again, this is really unknown because we haven't reached their epoch with the available observations. So a lot of uncertainties on, on, on these. And one other aspect is the formation of the black holes, uh, because we know that one billion years after the Big Bang and even a bit earlier, uh, there were already uh, very, very massive black holes. Uh, bl galaxies with inside them a black hole billions of times the mass of the sun and very very little is known uh, about how these giant black holes could form possibly out of the collapse of these first stars or uh, uh, from the collapse of giant gas clouds but very little is known so i'm speaking really speaking about something that uh, for which we have variety of predictions of scenarios, but very little observations. This JWC has only started, has just started to, to go in that direction with the very first observation that were really pushing a lot more than HST could do, but we haven't reached yet the, let's say, final frontier of the very first stars. Well, since James Webb is in infrared, can you combine the same image with Hubble and what sure. it would see to get more information? Can you do that? Yeah, sure, sure. We, we, we do. Hubble uh, gives us the, the, the visible light, the UV and visible light up to infrared around one micron, 1.5 micron wavelength, while Hubble starts more or less where HST ends, so around 1 micron down to 20 microns. So observations, now many observations have been designed so to exploit previous observations available with HST, or HST observation can be asked uh, to, to support. Uh, this is very important because to investigate uh, all objects in the sky, we, you need multi-wavelength information, constrain their physical properties, and, uh, and starting with their distance from us, their redshift. To do this, uh, you need, you need uh, as many wavelengths as possible. So usually telescopes acquire images with a filter that selects uh, some wavelengths and with HST you sample the, the UV to visible near infrared and with JWST from the near to the mid infrared. Uh, so that gives you a very long baseline to investigate, investigate uh, galaxies and all objects in the sky. So you said that um, early galaxies were more efficient at forming than you thought. What does the efficiency mean? What is formed and what is formed that is not desirable that makes it inefficient? Efficient means that you can, can convert more gas uh, into stars. As I said, uh, in the galaxies, uh, in our galaxies and in galaxies nearby, you see that there are many uh, contrasting effects uh, uh, that uh, uh, 
can also prevent star formation, like a negative feedback from the black holes or from other stars. So if you convert some percent of the gas into stars, cause the, the various processes regulate star formation, say a kind of, of loop. Possibly first galaxies, if this result is confirmed, possibly they had higher star formation, uh, but again, mod theoretical models didn't predict this, uh, and there is, we don't know yet how this, this could be, if that's something related to, to, to the feedback uh, from, from the, the, the star, first star clusters, if it was different, if it was inefficient, or if the gas cooling was more efficient, we don't know yet. Um, what images from the James Webb Telescope are showing you new things for your research? Uh, there, there have been a lot of observations from the beginning. Uh, there have been some very important surveys that, that with which uh, James Webb uh, started the operation called the Early Release Science Observation. Basically, the Space Telescope Telescope Science Institute asked the researchers for programs that could help the research community understanding James Webb data and power. So there were a lot of proposals. Uh, I'm part of uh, a few, a few of them, and these are uh, observations of small patches in the, in the sky at several wavelengths, uh, mostly focused on. Uh, I think, of course, I'm speaking uh, of the surveys in which I'm involved, focused on galaxy evolution and uh, the very first galaxies. But there have been a lot of surveys of this kind also for other research topics. Um, but the, the paper I've published uh, is, comes from a, a wonderful collaboration called GLASS, uh, led by, by Professor Treu at UCLA, uh, with tens of researchers uh, all around the world analyzing this uh, observation, uh, early release science observations uh, of a field uh, to, to investigate uh, galaxy evolution and uh, the very first galaxies. But there are several important ongoing programs that will, uh, will give a lot of, uh, of information on, on galaxy evolution in the coming year. So I, I expect that uh, the coming year will be will be very, very important research field with the data that have been acquired or are being acquired. Do you know what the images are that the James Webb telescope will look at in the future? Is there a schedule of what's planned or is it change all the time? No, there is a there is a very tight schedule indeed, uh, because the the way this these uh, observatories work is that call for proposal are issued once per year, so all researchers submit their proposals for observation. So for the coming year, even year and a half, if I'm not wrong, James Webb already has scheduled many many programs to investigate 
everything from the solar system to the first galaxies. Still, they allow for, for additional programs uh, like urgent programs and you can request, but there is a, there is a schedule and there will be new call for proposal for, for the upcoming uh, cycles, uh, as they are called, and uh, the next uh, call is, is being issued and uh, will proposals will have to be submitted, uh, if I'm not wrong, by the end of next January for observations to be carried out in uh, starting the end of next year through 2024. So it's a very efficient uh, scheduling system uh, because they, you know, of course, they want to, to optimize the, the usage of this, of this expensive and wonderful instrument. Um. What um what questions are you looking for for the James Webb Telescope to answer for you specifically? Are there any, or is yeah, the stuff well, that it's going to look at not going to help you at all? Uh, well, the definitely uh, what we need now is to use this uh, the James Webb uh, spectroscopy because the all these galaxies that I have discussed and uh, told you about uh, have been selected from uh, uh, imaging observations. So pictures at several wavelengths that allow to, 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 to sample the, the emission at several wavelengths from the galaxies. But uh, you can have true spectrum because there are several instruments on board of James Webb, including spectrographs, uh, and we need uh, to ask uh, James Webb to take spectra of these galaxies that we found from in the images. Uh, be, that's because the spectrum, first of all, confirmed that the galaxies is that distant because you you are never one hundred percent sure from imaging alone, but also gives a lot of information on physical properties because it tells you. It, it tells you, for example, the amount of uh, heavy elements in the in the stellar population inside the galaxy. Uh, it tells many ionizing photons these uh, these stellar populations emit. So they give you a lot of details of the galaxies uh, and of their their surrounding environment. So this is the next step for me, and I think for most of my colleagues. Uh, to ask for uh, spectroscopic follow-ups of these uh, galaxy samples. Have you ever observed a galaxy that is different from every other galaxy out there? One that's <laughs> in a class of its own, or are there, are there no ones that are completely unique? They're just families of types of galaxies. Yeah, there is huge variety, <laughs> huge variety of galaxies. Well, something that is very different uh, uh, from our point of view is when you look at galaxies that have been strongly lensed, because you know there is lensing effect due to, to gravitation, and sometimes you have some regions of the sky where you have a cluster of galaxies where gravity is so powerful that bends the light from uh, other objects that are in the for in in the background, and when you look at these galaxies, you really see something different because the it's like having another telescope due given by you to you by by this lensing effect that gives a resolving power that you 
really cannot reach in any other way. As far as single galaxies are concerned, their variety is so huge that it's really difficult to, to find something that is very, very unusual. But I tell you that these first galaxies that we found, to some extent, they, they were surprising also uh, because in one case, it was really one of them really looks like Bisky galaxy as, as the ones uh, in the nearby universe, at least at first glance. And the other one is very, very compact. So is tens of times more compact than our own galaxies and, uh, and is even more compact than the other galaxies that are so distant uh, and they were uh, quite surprising maybe not unique but very surprising also in this respect well very good um where's the best place for people to find out more about your work where can they go oh <laughs> well there are nice outreach uh, outreach journals. Many interesting things are reported, uh, for example, on scientists or sky and telescope. Uh, this is for uh, for. Uh, people interested in a presentation that not uh, a professional presentation of this uh, of this kind of results. There are a lot of resources on on the on the web presentations of, of this first uh, research. Uh, on uh, with James Webb. Well, very good. Marco, thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.